welcome once again to For and Against, where across the next half an hour or so, we delve into the big issues in sport off the field of play. My name is Paul Roach, and joining me on the panel, as always, are Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Roachie. And from our Melbourne office is Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. Hey, Paul. Hey, Simon. Hi, everyone. Coming up in the show, Rugby League goes all Super Bowl with its grand final. Can it work? Also, the challenge golf faces, not from Saudi Arabia this time, but from developers and local councils. We'll look at what happens when fan engagement meets Big Brother and also dive into the scandal consuming cornhole. Look forward to you bringing us up to speed on that one, Jono. Looking forward to it. Of course, we'll conclude the show with our favourite segment, Red Card, Yellow Card, where, as always, we drag back into the spotlight the misdemeanours of our sporting heroes doing things that they wish we had forgotten about. Uh, on social media, on Twitter, you can get us at forandagainst underscore on Instagram, for dot and dot against. And uh, for now, let's just get into the show. Rugby league fans in New South Wales held their collective breath in mid-August, as did the state government for that matter, as uh, Peter Volandis did nothing to detract from his reputation for brinkmanship. He threatened to take the Rugby League Grand Final that's uh, been played in Sydney since 1908. Okay, except for last year, but nothing to do with COVID actually counts. Uh, threatened to t- take it to Queensland. And, of course, the Queensland government were only too happy to add to that drama. The threat was real. Was uh, New South Wales going to lose the Grand Final? Well, disaster was averted, or at least for now. So the 2022 Grand Final will be played in Sydney, at at Homebush, the Olympic Stadium. But beyond that, it's an open question. With the NRL seemingly favouring a Super Bowl-style farming out of the match to a successful bidding city each year from now on. What do you make of that, Jono? Uh, look, a lot to unpack there, Rochi. Oh. But, um, I mean, we've got the stadium wars. They seem to have been resolved, as you say, in the short term. But let's see how that, that plays out long term. I mean, it, it's hard, isn't it, for for us to feel too much sympathy for rugby league, given that the politician said, well, I can either give $400 million to redevelop suburban grounds or I can look after flood victims. So I think Peter Volandis always had a, um, a large barrow to push uphill there. Mm. Um, I liked what he said. I mean, Flanders is a really interesting administrator. Um, did you read his quote? He said, Dom, as in Dom Perrottet, is a very good premier, mm. but don't have a bet with him because when you win, he won't pay. <laughs> Having said that, I'll have a beer with him. It's a bit like the Roadrunner and the Coyote. At the end of it all, we'll have a beer and we're still mates. I did say that because it, it occurred to me, I, I'm not sure I've seen the Roadrunner and Coyote. Having beers together. Even yeah. just coming together and, you know... It make, was making peace, making strange, a peace pipe. Strange analogy, but yeah, look, um, it'd be interesting to see what happens going forward. Riles, you're a uh, you know a big fan of the US's influence on Australian sport. What do you make of it all? Well, funnily enough, I think you should you know go to that other um, uh, cartoon with Foghorn Leghorn, and was it was it the, was it the 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 big mm. dog and they they punch in at the beginning of the shift and then mm. they'd fight 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 and then they'd punch out and I imagine they went and had a beer. Look, I think I think that. Valandis has got to be careful what he wishes for here. I think the idea that they'll go to a great big bidding war and that other states are going to keep upping the value of what they're prepared to pay sounds good in theory, but only if people start bidding. If no one starts bidding, then you know prices start coming down. And I don't know that the NRL's all that when it comes after they've, they've had it once, they've had it twice. They might get a couple of good years out of it, but I'm not sure it's going to last. Well, the only thing is you'll get different teams playing in the grand final each year, roughly. So you're going to have a different different audience every year as to who might travel to Perth or who might travel to Adelaide and, and so forth. I mean, and, and let's look at the stadiums. There's only half a dozen stadiums in the country that could realistically 
host the grand final. See, at Lang Park up in the north, you wouldn't count the Gabba because the, the you know you don't put it on a circle. Adelaide Oval probably. Adelaide Oval maybe I suppose if Adelaide was keen enough. And ditto the Perth Stadium. Okay, yep. having just said you wouldn't put it on a, on a, on an oval if yep. going to those two cities you, that that's your only option. Is there? I mean, there's a certain amount of pragmatism <clears throat> here, isn't there? And it must be a push by Queensland. The reality is, in a what are we, eighteen or nineteen team comp at the moment. Once the Dolphins come in next year, there's going to be four Queensland teams. So mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to say that the grand final should continue to be held in, in New South Wales when you've got a quarter of the competition based in a different state. I mean, I I think there's some pragmatism at play here. Queensland is up there as being the heart and soul of rugby league at the moment. You look at you know what's happened in Queensland, how strong they are in, in state of origin, how strong they're league teams are, I reckon they deserve a, a grand yeah, final every now and again. Strength in origin and having fought, strength in origin waxes and wanes. So it, look, this is a bit of a, how much do you stick with tradition and how much do you just go with commercial or commercial imperatives perhaps? Well, uh, yeah, there might be something in what you're saying, Simon, but if Philandis actually was following that logic, surely he'd just say, we're going to have the grand final once every four years in Queensland. Uh, unless, of course, he's using this just as cover so that it, it's not about sharing it. It's it's a commercial decision, people, and hmm. and that's how he's justifying. You, you talked, Rochi, about the USification um, of uh, rugby league and you know whether we might adopt some of the factors that are at play with the Super Bowl. I had a quick look at um, what happens with the NFL and um, mm. the hosting rights for the mm. Super Bowl. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you've seen this, but there's been a few investigative journalists who have done a bit of digging oh. to work out what the NFL requires um, from various host cities, as it were. And apparently there's... Is it uh, like dealing with the IOC as a host city? Of it's not dissimilar? It's worse. Oh, right. So there's a 153-page <coughs> list of demands <laughs> for each city. And the demands range from the sublime to the ridiculous. So there are the obvious ones like clean stadia. Got to have chocolate M&Ms. Pretty much. So funnily enough, the league requires exclusive access to three top quality 18-hole golf courses (laughs) at no cost that it can host a tournament on Super Bowl weekend. They request uh, two top quality bowling alleys, again, at no cost. (laughs) Um, they want a big junket, so 16 months before the game, the NFL will send 180 people to the host city for a familiarisation trip to inspect oh. the region. Again, the host city must fund all of the expenses. There must be free housing, and the list just goes on and on and on. So is Peter Volandis going to uh, suggest something like to this? To Steve-O's point, Peter Volandis, careful what you wish for. Wowee. That's- <laughs> what, what I think they'll call that, Simon, and what I think Peter Volandis will call that is an extensive betting process, <laughs> and you'll have to check it out personally. Look, I know I went to Brisbane last year to check it out, but I've got to go and check it out again this year. That's he, and Andrew, he and Andrew Abdo will be, uh, be everywhere. And I, the entourage. I, I'm okay with it, though, Rochi. I mean, I, we had the NRL Grand Final, as you said. I know it was COVID last year. It was at Suncorp. It was a great event. The AFL Grand Final went to Perth during COVID again, a great event. Tradition is a wonderful thing, but we've got to grow the game, so I'm all for it. Yeah, but do you grow the game by necessarily relocating the Grand Final? I mean, I, th- I think the, the AFL Grand Final will never leave Melbourne. I think actually they recently redid the contract. They've got it for another 30 years or something. But, you know, that's that's a that, that's a sport that's much more in tune with their, their history mm. and their tradition, and they, they play on that a lot better and more regularly than, than Rugby League does. Yeah, it, Rugby League just strikes me as a bit more of a american influence sport and whereas aussie rules and maybe it's part of being the indigenous game it's it's just a bit bit better i know guild tried to tried to put the grand final at night and then they experiment with the twilight thing over in perth as you say john and that sort of worked out well for the time zones but you know it's gone back to a 230 kickoff that's what the that's what the people want 
Um, actually, John, look, I did do a little bit of poking around around the NFL way as well. I was just concerned there for a moment we might have overlapped. So 2022 sees the running of Super Bowl 56. In that time, in those 56 editions, 15 different cities have hosted 15 different cities. Now, many of multiple hosts have actually used different stadiums. There's 26 different stadiums in total. Now, obviously, the depth of candidate cities is a little larger in the US than it is in Australia. And to illustrate this, have a guess what is the 15th largest city in Australia. So again, in the US, they've used 15 different cities. If you were to try and use 15 different cities in Australia... What's the 15th most populous Ooh. city? I mean, you know, pick a couple Townsville, of names. Townsville. Well, you're pretty close, actually. You're both in terms of population and geography. It's Cairns. Right. So I'm not sure how Cairns with a population of 155,000 really absorb a, a game of, you know, ideally 50,000 spectators, although their stadium is not quite large enough. So, yeah, I think the point we're kind of making is there's not a lot of options. You can auction this off as much as you want, Mr. Volandis, but you really don't have a lot of different options. Uh, options, sorry. Options for your auction. I think the, an equivalent of sorts is Nepal. So they sold their grand final in 2022 um, to Perth, which was controversial at the time. I'm pretty sure we talked about it on the show at the time. But that was driven by some a fairly severe financial predicament that they found themselves in. But otherwise, I don't know, there's something for tradition. But um, it'll be interesting, interesting to see how uh, how it pans out, whether or not Sydney manages to keep hold of the, the grand final. What you, Jono's uh, said his piece, Riles, what do you think the future holds? Well, Sydney hold it. Are you concerned? Do you care as to where it's where it's hosted? Look, I I think what I think is really good about Peter Valanis is is he's happy to throw the cards up in the air and see how they land, and and I think he knows there's the potential for someone to make this interesting. So Perth might bring in you know some big big dollars. Uh, Brisbane definitely will want to host it. North Queensland might put up the money and say we'll we'll do it, but I don't know that they'll be so happy if. Uh, uh, you know, if North Queensland aren't playing. I do wonder if someone builds a new stadium down the road. I mean, Springfield is the new sort of privately developed city just uh, southwest of Brisbane. You know, if they build a, build a stadium, part of the... Yeah, Simpsons, I know. Yeah. Series? You think, you, oh, you think God. they'd have chosen a different name. But if they build a stadium... It's made for rugby league. ...holding the NRL Grand Final might be part of their, their strategy. Let's not forget that Mildura hosted... You know, the Davis Cup one. So, uh, you know. Yeah. Anything is the, possible. It could work. What about yeah. Port Moresby? Where's, where's, what's the capacity of the biggest stadium at Port Moresby? Know, they they love their rugby league. They don't have there. three championship golf courses, though. So it's not going to work. <laughs> or bowling. Well, we hadn't thought about what about Eden Park. Exactly, Steve. Yeah, that's what I was going to next. Mm. Yeah. How far do you ship it? Can't ship it too far for, for time zone purposes. But, um, yeah, look, New Zealand would be, I would have thought, would be all over that. A big enough stadium, Eden Eden Park is what, 50, 50 or 1,000, maybe 60, maybe yeah, yeah. 60, Ball 50. Park. Yeah, so yeah, they'd be right up for that, I would have thought. Get a whole, get 40,000 half drunk Australians come over. They'd, they'd love that. Fantastic. Anyway, so we'll see how that pans out. So, yes, as I say, Sydney has, has the grand final in 2022 for the Rugby League. Beyond that, big question marks. We'll see how it pans out. On to the shootout now, where we cover a few uh, few other topics in shorter fashion, and let's talk golf, Jono. Now, generally speaking, sporting facilities take up land, and often good chunks of land. How much land and where is often a function of history, as well as trying to get a balance between, you know, community facilities, a place where we can come together, green space, and the need to house an ever-expanding population. So there's very little controversy, it seems to me, around footy and cricket fields, around tennis and netball courts, but golf is a bit more exclusive than that, and 
And it also takes up a much larger slice of the green stuff. Now, not for the first time in this show, Jono, we confront the spectre of all that prime real estate upon which golf courses generally sit uh, being up for discussion. And I think there's a couple of examples recently where this discussion is live as to, um, you know, how important is it to have all this land given over to um, to uh, to golf? Absolutely, Rochi. We've talked about golf's fight for survival previously, and that's been in the context of the PGA and the Live Wars, but this is uh, a bit more of an existential threat. More local. Indeed, and whether or not um, we'll have golf courses on which to play. Um, During COVID, you would have recalled that there was the controversy surrounding uh, Northcote Public Course, so that was down in Melbourne during the lockdowns, and during that period, no one could play golf. And during that period, the public was allowed access to a number of golf courses, including this course called North Northcote Public Course. And as a result of that, a whole bunch of people were very excited about that and thought, hang on a minute, what's this great secret about golf courses? We can go for walks there. There's beautiful ponds around. There's some sand, no doubt, where the kids were playing, <laughs> pretending it was a sand pit. And so following that, during and after COVID, there was some community action, some focus groups and some council complaints, basically to try and hand back this land, which belonged to North Northcote Public Golf Course, to the public. Um, very recently, the decision of the council was handed down, and I'm pleased to say, uh, being a golfer, damn, sorry, Reggie, that uh, well, it was a bit of a compromise. So hmm. the course um, remains as is for golfers, but five hectares has been released to the public for what they describe as golf adjacent activities and it's i don't know what golf that sounds like target are. practice for golfers <laughs> to me <laughs> maybe it's a driving range <laughs> who knows? Uh, but i think it was a it was a win-win on both sides is the way it was sold and look there's a similar issue across australia my old course um, moore park hmm. uh, is an 18 hole course and there's talk about turning that into a nine hole course which is an inner sydney uh, course for those that aren't familiar with moore park indeed so not far from where the scg and the uh, sfs are it's a fair debate i have to say what do you think, Ross? Yeah, I agree. And I think you're going to have to yeah, look forward to playing nine holes at Moore Park in the near distant future. I think Northcote were lucky to get away with it. The The council vote was five to four. You know, you're, it's an election away from becoming a six-hole golf course, I suspect. <laughs> um, but, but this is something I, I think particularly you know, public golf courses, you know, on public land, Mm. There's a couple of pressures that are going against them. We've we've seen uh, lawn bowls clubs being sold to developers. The the land is too valuable. Uh, I think that golf courses are going to take a two-step approach to go that way. And I'm not endorsing it. I just think this is how councils will make up the money. They'll take, you know, um, nine holes back or six holes back and then they'll make it public land and then they'll look at divvying up a little bit of it for – apartments or something like that and uh, i think the land is just too well placed mm. particularly these golf courses right in the middle of, uh, of city property well i think that last time we spoke about this at length in the show I, I referenced you know when you fly out of sydney in particular mm. or in and out of sydney there's so much inner city land that is is green it looks beautiful it's fantastic but there's there's a lot of golf courses that are within a you know a few kilometers of, of Sydney yeah. airport for example one of those courses that you see as you fly out of Sydney is Royal Sydney and mm. there's big stoush going on at the moment um, we talked before about public golf courses but it's not just the public courses it's you know exclusive private courses that are facing similar pressures so they're looking to redevelop at the moment this is a course that costs you know upwards of thirty thousand dollars a year to join it's um, you know, a very exclusive course, and what would they pay? What would sorry to jump in? What would they be paying annual? So it's thirty k to join. That's not an annual fee, though, se- is it? Seven or eight, 
Okay. Per, per annum. Yeah, brilliant. Sorry, carry on. And they're looking to redevelop it. So they're looking to spend 20 or 30 million bucks to basically dig up the entire course and relay it and, and redo it. It's a course that's crying out for redevelopment. It's just not a championship quality course, and, and that's what they want to make. And as part of that, they want to cut down 600 trees. Mm, did say this. Which is that's, a little bit controversial. Geez, that's a red rag to a bull. Hi, guys. We're just going <laughs> to knock down 600 trees Well, so we can make a nice golf course. To be fair, Jesus. They are re- did you see this? They're replanting 1,800. And 88 trees. Yeah. 1888. I mean, that's assuming like, they do. Who's sticking around to make sure that happens? That's what everyone, that's what all the, you know, green leaning uh, councillors. You insensible people. <laughs> are suggesting, you know, who is going to hold them to account on this. But yeah, look, it's a, it's a really vigorous debate at the moment as to whether it'll get through. I, I think this is a fascinating one because, you know, I, I can't cut down the tree in my backyard <laughs> without checking with the, the neighbours, the council, all the rest of it. But if, if it's a private golf course and those trees are you know going up or down the the sixth fairway and can't be spotted by anyone except someone flying into Sydney Airport, yeah, if I'm it, not sure about this. If one. a tree falls yeah, at Royal Sydney and no one sees it, doesn't really fall. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you also see that? Um, so the CEO of Golf Australia is James Sutherland, former one of oh, Stephen's yes. old mates, the uh, former CEO of Cricket Australia. Stephen was a great fan of of James, <laughs> but he uh, he's taking this uh, threat. Uh, to his organisation as a, as an existential threat. Mm. So he issued a rallying cry to golfers around the country. This was uh, at the height of this Northgate golf course battle, Stephen. And he said, we need to respond and the time is now. He wrote in a letter urging golfers and golf people to complete golf a survey. People. And he said, even if you have never played at Northcote or even seen the course, it doesn't matter because public golf is the estuary of our game. It is where most people start. The estuary. Take it away and we don't have a game. Golf needs to stand its ground. It really had some kind of Russell Crowe-esque <laughs> um, gladiatorial, they shall not take away our freedom James? vibes about it, didn't it? James, isn't that Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson. Yeah. 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 Um, that was Braveheart, but it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, look, I think this is... <laughs> <laughs> Just Simon, enjoy your golf while you can. James Sutherland's in charge now. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> it did have real backs to the wall kind of vibe about yeah, that yeah. Uh, thing too. Look, the other thing too is before we leave golf, is that it's worth making the distinction that not every bit of land that, that golf is played on um, has the same ownership structure. There is some that is built on crown land. There is some that is council land. There is some that is genuinely privately owned, I think, John. Is that, is that right? Like some clubs would actually... Fenicum own the land on which yeah, they're built. Yeah. But it would be zoned in such a way that it would be very hard to redevelop. So it's not just like, as Stephen said before, a bowling club that could be redeveloped into apartments mm. or something like that because it would be zoned for green use or, or whatever it might be. So yeah, it's a, compl- a complicated structure. Mm. The mm. Royal Sydney thing, I think, is currently before the Land and Environment Court. So we'll yep. have to watch that one. You're right. Yep. Watch this green space. That's all we can say on that one. Uh, look, some scary news in fa- in the uh, in the world of fan engagement, and um, this is just a bit of a rip and read, as they say in the trade. So, thank you, Sports Pro Media. Premier League champions Manchester City are using a connected scarf to track the emotions, physiology, and movement of supporters when they are watching a match. Sounds scary. Giving the club a better understanding of fan behaviour. Sounds scarier. The scarf uses an emoti bit biosensor discreetly located on the neck to capture four main streams of anonymized data. I certainly hope so. A help me with this one, John. A photo I had a few goes at this. I, a photoplethysmography. Yeah, that'll do. Photoplethysmography uh, sensor, PPG, thank you, why didn't you put that at the front? Uh, that thing, the PPG tracks heart rate, respiration, oxygen saturation and hydration levels 
while an accelerometer measures movement and activity. All on a scarf. All on a scarf. Well, it's this one little gizmo. Uh, and look, later, in, they could have just stuck it on the back of someone's neck like um, they do in the footy, but you're attached to a scarf because of the emotive reasons. Look, I, I want to go on, if I, if I may. An electrodermal activity sensor, an EDA, electrodermal, which apparently is the same tech that used for lie detection, that assesses nervous system responses mm. driven by cognitive and emotional arousal, while a temperature sensor is also used. So, you know, there's a lot of data being collected there for a lot of very questionable reasons, frankly. And uh, this is fan engagement gone gone big brother. I'm a, I'm a bit scared. Imagine if we'd been uh, wearing that, Richie, at the 2005 grand final. Oh, this, the Swannies West Coast would have been, game. Would have been up. Indeed. i got to love the lie detector, though. I mean, <laughs> really, <laughs> that was offside. offside. Oh. Turns out, I thought it was okay. Says the Chief Marketing and Fan Experience Officer at City Football Group, of course, the owner of Manchester City. Uh, A scarf is an iconic item that football fans across the globe own and wear to show their passion and support. And this latest activity with Cisco, who's their technology partner, is an innovative new way to bring fans together, uh, under our watchful gaze presumably, and connect with them in a new and exciting way, whether they like it or not, presumably. A lot of data there. Bit concerning, isn't it? A lot of data. A whole lot of look. I, I think the ultimate um, where this really plays out is when an opposition fan hacks into the emoti bit and uh, the scarf puts a chokehold on the wearer. Ah. Mm. <laughs> it's where it's heading. Mark my words. And it's not sport, but we like it. We like chucking in the occasional uh, little tale about something that's highly competitive, but not actually a sport. But um, John, look, I I remember in our in our little uh, getting ready for the show, and I mentioned this thing I, I saw about cornhole, and your eyes just lit up, and I'm I'm just going to let you run with this. So there's a scandal in the uh, the game of, of cornhole. Tell us all about it. Yeah, happy to. I'm a big cornhole fan, and, and I'd just like to give a special shout out to a regular shout listener, Jeremy Thomas, who hosts the Northbridge Cornhole Championships. <laughs> Fairly regularly. Uh, are you a cornholer, Reggie? Do, that, we, do we know what cornhole is? Well, that's uh, that sounds like a very closed championship, mate. It's because uh, I haven't been invited. Well, to we it. don't invite Willoughby people, but you know. <laughs> anyway, cornhole. Giving too much away oh, there. Cor- uh, no, tell us about cornhole. So it's a lawn game. Players throw small hessian bags. Previously, they were filled with corn, thus the name cornhole. Uh-huh. But now it's resin, apparently, onto a raised wooden board. So it's kind of the board is at a slight angle. At an angle, isn't it? Yeah, at a slight Mm. angle. There's a little hole in the middle of it. At one point, if you land on the the board, and three points if the bag goes through the hole. Mm. And you're about, I don't know, 10 metres away. So you get a point for missing, mate. Exactly. It's like like (laughs) AFL. Anyway, there's been a big scandal this week, Richie, at the American Cornhole League, the ACL World Championships. Don't the Yanks love calling an American competition the World oh, Championship? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was a pretty big deal. Two of the highest ranked teams in the world um, were featuring prominently on the ACL live stream. But before the first bag was thrown, the drama began. Um, one of the players called for a bag check Ooh. on his opponents. Is that Ooh. like calling someone a cheat? I think so. Like it's kind of, it's just not done mm. in the world of cornhole. Yeah, I didn't you know? think so. So a measuring tool was brought out. <laughs> Bags were checked and they failed inspection. But wait, in the ultimate case of turnabout is fair play, um, the opponents asked for a bag check on the other team's oh, bags. Nice. Lo and behold, their bags were oh, the were called out as well. Dodgy so and so's. Is it a weight thing or a dimension thing? What's a bit the- of both. Right, yeah, okay. so they failed both, I think. Right. So it led to a bit of. Funnily enough, they continued playing. They agreed. Look, even though we're playing with dodgy bags, we'll play anyway. <laughs> At least and and both the game dodgy. went on. So exactly, <laughs> game went on. But look, the real story is here is it led to an investigation 
there was much heart wringing amongst the cornhole purists. And apparently, what has been happening over the last year or so is some players are trying to cheat the system oh, no. by improving the quality of their bags. So previously, what you would do is you just play them in. The more you played with it, the easier the, the bag got. It got softer, uh-huh. kind of molded to your hand, and uh-huh. you got to know it a little bit more. Uh-huh. These days, people are using fabric softener, uh, chemicals, and a well-known corn player said that some people have even been resorting to boiling their bags. And he said, please, anyone reading Whoa. this, do not boil your bags. You will likely ruin them <sighs> in ways you cannot see. There's a little life lesson there. Just don't boil your bags. Don't boil your bags, Richard. <laughs> Devo, um, have you ever played cornhole? <laughs> and if not, why not? So, so down here in the sporting capital of the world, we call it beanbag pass, and uh, and we play, we play it up until the age of about six, <laughs> <laughs> and then you ship your used cornhole balls up to Sydney for Jono to play the um, the Northbridge Championship. Crimes. Well, there'll be a whole lot of spare land at Northbridge Golf Course for you to expand the, the cornhole true, um, <laughs> empire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cripes. Do you reckon red card, yellow card can get any better than that or should we just stop the show there? <laughs> we'll give it a crack. And on to red card, yellow card. Um, yes, where we drag some misdemeanors of sporting types back into the spotlight, uh, done things they wished they hadn't done things they wished would disappear, and we do our best to make sure they don't disappear. Steve-O, far away. Who's your nomination for red card, yellow card? So if I can get myself back together, then I... Come on, hold beanbag for Barkle. Uh, <laughs> I am nominating Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed, uh, you know, a big fan favourite, and in golf, you'd love him, Paul. I was going to say, uh, he's Patrick he, Reed. He, Thank you. Uh-huh. He's the bad guy. <laughs> he is the bad guy of the PGA Tour. Uh, actually, not anymore. He's, he's part of the Live Golf Tour now, and he is suing the Golf Channel and one of the commentators there, Brandel Shamley, uh, for a basically conspiring to label him as a cheater. Uh, now, it's interesting. I'm not going to go into the whys and wherefores and whether or not well, he boiled Patrick his golf Reed is, is, a, is, <laughs> is a cheater, whether he has a future on the Cornhole Tour. But um, what's really interesting about deciding, and he's, he's, I must say he's suing the Golf Channel for, get this, $750 million. Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> which, which must be what Greg Norman offered to pay him. <laughs> for, uh, anyway, um, but what I think is interesting about this this thing, and perhaps you know, Patrick hasn't quite thought it through, is in putting this uh, court case in, he has had to list the insults that mm. have you know, caused $750 million <laughs> worth of damage, which include now on the T, the excavator because he, he's accused of digging out his line in, in bunkers. You suck, you jackass, you cow, <laughs> shovel. Why don't you dig a grave and bury yourself in it? Dear I do. There's a couple with uh, four little words, which I'm not going to say, even though we're uh, no longer on the uh, the national broadcaster. <laughs> no one likes you. <laughs> well, there's 80 mil right there. Uh, and it goes, it goes on and on and on. Everyone hates you, Rick. <laughs> I mean, this. And this is a commentator on TV. Yeah. 
Right. Yep. This is the yep. problem with defamation yep. actions, you see. You commence proceedings and you're just shining a spotlight mm. on the very defamatory material that you're, you're suing to stop. It's the Barbara Streisand effect. Indeed. Mm. Exactly, yeah. Mm. So who's getting the, the nomination here? Oh, you said the golfer themselves. Patrick himself. Breed. Yeah. It's the golfer. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Patrick Breed, yeah. For yeah. launching the action on. Yeah, just, okay. Yellow, presumably. I think yellow. Nothing worthy of a red there. Jono. Cristiano Ronaldo. You heard of him, ah. Reggie? Yeah. CR7. So he's got himself into trouble with his neighbours. Oh, so he's got a, uh, a little... Uh, 40... He's got a golf course in his backyard. <laughs> well, just wait. Where do you just find you this wait. Stuff, and, th- and three cornhole uh, fields as well. But I'll get there. <laughs> just give me a moment. He owns, Cristiano, he owns a $40 million super mansion <laughs> property in Quinta da Marinha, also right. known, Rochi, as the Portuguese Riviera, as mm-hmm. you would know. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that Cristiano wants to do a few renos, just a few minor renos. Like all of us, he spent a lot of time at home during COVID and he just wants to do his place up. So what does he have in store with the reno plans? Well, there's the minor issue, funnily enough, Riles, of a golf clubhouse next door Uh, that interrupts his views. What has CR7 done? He solved that problem. He bought it. (laughs) <laughs> he plans to demolish it, and he's going to reloc- relocate it down the road. That's and, the first thing. And donate the rest of the golf course to public space? No doubt. I doubt it, actually. Mm, but mm. yeah. Next, he wants to add a garage. You'll like this, Rochi. It's not just any garage. It'll be Ten a, car? It'll, no, no. It'll be equipped with elevators and can house 30 supercars. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It actually means, I don't know if you know of this technology, he can access whichever car he wants each day by pressing a button. Yep, that doesn't surprise me. Yep. Number three, he's decided to buy an Italian quarry. Why, you ask? Because that quarry supplied all the marble to his super, ha- super home, and he wants to ensure exclusivity on his bench tops. Oh, my goodness. He clearly takes his kitchen island bench very, very seriously. Mm. And lastly, the Renault plans include three indoor pools, four outdoor pools, a cinema, spa, games room, bowling alley, and three gyms, and probably two cornhole fields. <laughs> um, of course they do. <laughs> Cristiano is set for a battle with his neighbours over his minor Renault. And, yeah, I think it's uh, troubled wow. times for Cristiano. Jeepers. I'd love to know who the, who the, who the neighbours are. Well, it's, it's a good thing he got dropped on the weekend. He's got more time to spend at his house. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so you're dishing out a yellow to Kira? Yeah, I think to... so. I mean, it's, it's a little bit over the top, isn't it, OTT? You might have heard me misspeak just there. Um, so mine's Nick Kyrgios. I'm not sure this is quite a, a, a legit, you know, sits in the box exactly of a red code, yellow code nomination. Just, just hear me out. So a spectator... You might recall in the Wimbledon final, <clears throat> was accused by Nick Kyrgios of being drunk. Uh, his back was to the wall. You know, he does these things where he tries to fire himself up, presumably. And this person, this spectator, um, is taking legal action over the accusation. So during the loss of Djokovic, Kyrgios complained to the umpire that this lady, or a fan, was drunk out of her mind and looks like she's had 700 drinks. Now, an Anna Pallas Paulus is bringing defamation proceedings. Uh, describing Kyrgios's allegation as reckless and entirely baseless. And she's got a little bit of a point here. Not only did this cause considerable harm on the day, resulting in my temporary removal from the arena, but Mr Kyrgios's false allegation was broadcast to and read by millions around the world, causing me and my family very substantial damage and stress. Don't need vindication... Sorry, the need to obtain vindication and to prevent re- repeat of this. The only reasons for taking action, any damages recovered will be donated to charity mm. so it's a little bit of a retrospect it's it's for curious as I say. it's a bit retrospective it's on the field it is on the field a little bit but relates to something off the field true, so which true, is true, why true. i acknowledge yeah, okay. the at the top there that it's you know you can argue it's not a two, proper nomination two nominations involving defamation exactly yeah what a dull Ooh, show <laughs> can i quick can i check who are you nominating 
No, Kyrgios. I said that at the top. Yeah, I think um, she's got a fairly... Kyrgios. Yeah, she's got a... For, for being a, a, a deal and making that sort of what I assume to be a, a, a flippant and off-the-cuff kind of comment slash accusation. I'd nominate her, well, I mean, uh, but, but for her commencing these proceedings, no one would have known her name. Yeah, true. Well, maybe that's what she wants. Who knows? I don't want uh, to I say anything. I think he'd be entitled to nominate her, but I think, I think Nick Kyrgios is breathing a sigh of relief because we are deciding that he's ineligible for... Uh, for mm. a card for this nomination. So, I mean, it's one of those yeah. cards that actually gets it blow, it's blown up on me, and I get the card for. I think Rachel gets the yellow card. Incorrect nomination. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, worth yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Just for bringing that back yeah. up again. Yeah. So, with that sort of um, self destruction on my part, it brings us to the end of the show because that's the end of red card, yellow card. So, goodbye, Stephen. There you go and practice my cornhole oh. playing. And you know what? I think I think I'm going to start uh, appealing to the government down here to see if they can bid for not only the NRL grand final oh. in future years. But the Cornhole the Championship. No- the Northbridge Cornhole. Yeah, it's exactly a good idea. I thought we were going to lose. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. For the rest of the show. because he, <laughs> was, just, he, was, we, he was teetering a bit there. He was. He? Yeah, yeah. See you later, Jono. Uh, see you, Rochie. Looking forward to a game of Cornhole. Exactly. Uh, feel free to invite me next time. Uh, you can get the show on uh, on Twitter at for and against underscore and on Instagram for dot and dot against. It's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. We'll see you again in a fortnight's time. Bye for now.